0: All right, so we are here again with another episode of In Between. Uh, very excited to sort of evolve like the format a bit uh, to have more of a focus on the topics that we do, but also be able to go a bit more in depth in some of the topics. Um, and for the topic today, we have a guest uh, amongst us uh, who's gonna probably share some of, uh, your, of, of uh, his own thoughts. So. Uh, Karthik like probably you can introduce yourself a bit so that people who are listening to us can sort of understand who you are
1: right uh so hi to the listeners of in between so I'm uh, my name is Karthik uh so Karthik Kanan and um, yeah like I think um, I'm one of the co-founders of Envision, along with the other Karthik so Karthik Mahadevan, so we both, uh, uh, you know, are the founders of Envision and uh, personally, yeah, like I, I do a lot of the tech stuff uh, at Envision, so uh, my interest is predominantly lying in um, tech, specifically computer vision and uh, <clears throat> sort of like deep learning or what we call AI as a whole, that's sort of like where my interest is, but yeah, specifically... With regards to computer vision so that's me
0: and the reason that uh, we have you on is because uh, we have been uh, you're reading about this thing online called gpt3 yeah. uh, it's been popping up all over your, your like twitter feed we have been able to see some insane examples of you know, like what is possible uh, so yeah, we just thought you know it, it could be like a it could be like a learning experience for us to really understand what is GPT three, what's the tech behind it, uh, and uh, what can we expect from it? Like you know, like what could this imply, and how much of it is hype, and how much of it is actually
1: the breakthrough stuff? Right. I think uh, so. GPT three is so GPT itself. Um, let me start with what is like sort of GPT for like people who don't really uh, know know what it is about and why it's like you know so exciting uh, right now and uh, whether it's hype or not is something that yeah we talk about it as well Uh, and what you can actually do with it that's also like super exciting. So GPT was, uh, was actually a paper published by this company called OpenAI. So OpenAI is a company that was founded by Elon Musk and a few other people to really sort of advance uh, the uh, the understanding of AI itself and to uh, make AI something that we can understand and also use for the better, right. And in AI, generally today there are two sort of areas of AI that are like really exciting, so one is computer vision, so really uh, allowing uh, you know computers to understand things that they see around and react to it, right. then there is natural language processing. So you know taking something like something to do with language and then truly trying to understand and manipulate language like how we humans do right. So these are the two areas of AI that's like really exciting and for the longest time computer vision was the one that was getting a lot of attention and a lot of breakthroughs because uh, you know it all started in 2012 where there was this landmark paper that was published after that computer vision really took off and then all of a sudden now you have things like your you know snapchat filters your instagram filters you have people doing face recognition all of that is sort of exploded in the last sort of five years ten years but natural language processing wasn't really like going you know where it should be. So, there were some things that you know natural language processing was doing really well like for example uh, giving given a sentence you can identify what is like uh, you know the subject and the predicate doing all those things uh, or even named entity recognition where it can find out if an entity is something that's important in a sentence or not and then try to understand it or summarization right like you give it a paragraph it will summarize it in like 5 or 10 sentences and then so those were some of the simpler things that was happening but Like nothing really exciting was happening in that space until last year, and OpenAI came out with GPT-2. Okay, they called it GPT-2. It was really weird the naming itself, but yeah, it was GPT-2 and GPT-2 was actually a very very exciting thing that happened then. Like I think now the reason why GPT-3 is very exciting is because people have an access, like an API access to it, so people can actually like play around with GPT-3. But GPT two was actually the the one that changed it all, you know. Like, and so much so that OpenAI refused to actually release the paper for GPT two. They said, if we release the paper, we don't know what kind of malicious shit people will come up with. So we're not going to yeah. release the paper. We're only going to release the results, and that's how it, it's going to be. You know, they okay. were really yeah.
0: So only to back up a bit. So a uh, uh, GPT is basically uh you are uh, focusing on only on NLP which is Natural Language Processing yeah. Yeah. which in essence is if you have an instruction or, or a command that a human like, is giving, how much of it is a machine is able to understand and is able to take action on it. That's basically what NLP would be.
1: Exactly right. So like when you go and tell your Alexa, or your Google Home or your Siri that hey Siri uh, you know what's the weather like today, that's all NLP that's actually working there. Right. And GPT specifically focusing on this thing called text generation. You know, it's not focused on anything else. It's specifically focused on text generation. So it's going to be used in chatbots. It's going to be used in uh, those answering machines. So those are the things that GPT would be used in. Right. And Google felt that okay, you know, if we put this out tomorrow, someone can you know write something that's very very similar to say I don't know like a Barack Obama speech or like something else, and uh, yeah, you would be able to like manipulate things on the internet that way. So they didn't put it out. But then a lot of people in the AI community felt like you know what, you can't say you've done this really cool thing and you've advanced the state of the art and not put it out. Like you have to come out in the open and then share your results, share the models that you're having with us. And then we believe that your intentions are good. And so GPT did that, GPT-2 did that and they, and they made it. And it became like a big thing amongst the people who were in the community in machine learning, AI community It was a big thing. And, uh, GPT-3 is the next version of GPT-2, which is basically, you know, so much better than the existing model, uh, GPT-2 and, uh, it's able to learn from fewer examples than GPT-2 and it's able to do a much 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 better job than GPT-2 so it's actually an improvement but it's such a significant improvement that OpenAI decided to like see if what kind of applications people are going to build on it and that's why it's so exciting like the whole thing
0: Interesting and uh, is, there, is the reason for improvement do you think is it access to you like a database or you know like you're like So, uh, so what do you think has been the contributing uh, uh, factor to such a big improvement in that?
1: I think, you know, the thing is, um, OpenAI actually did some pretty significant uh, algorithm improvements. That's also something that, you know, I've come to understand, uh, you know, from... GPT like from GPT2 to GPT3 but a lot of what you know is good with GPT3 is the size of the model itself you know so GPT3 uses a lot used a lot more training power than GPT2 like i think they spent like i don't know 5 million dollars or something uh, in just training GPT3 you know so they really have put like an extraordinary amount of money into that and time into that so i think it is not just to do with data it's also to do with the computing power that they used to actually train GPT-3 versus GPT-2 along with some improvements to the underlying model itself, you know, like some some scientific improvements to it. Mm-hmm. So, it's like I think what OpenAI decided to do was to see how well GPT-2 would be received and then try to put more money into GPT-3 when the time came around for the development. So. It's, that's basically the idea because the model is is massive and that's the reason why you, they don't give you like the model itself but they're giving you like an API with which you can access the model you know
2: oh, yeah okay I, I do have a question regarding probably some kind of applications maybe you could point yeah. out that people came yeah. up with maybe with DP 2 and three.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think GPT through I think people still uh, did like chatbot stuff, and people mm-hmm. trained it on uh, trying to generate Shakespeare, uh, you know, okay. from his previous works and stuff. GPT three, because of the fact that you know it's so widely available as an API, and anyone can apply for it and use it with an application. I'm seeing some really really cool stuff. Like for example, uh, they have a I saw a, a particular application which will. Uh, which they have trained Elon Musk and Aristotle and all of these guys and you can ask them to explain topics like how Elon Musk would explain a topic to you or you can ask uh, you know, like philosophical questions like and get an explanation as to how Aristotle would explain it to you right and uh, the thing with GPT-3 the, also like the big thing is it's such a fundamental shift in the way we access AI now because earlier like let's say we want to like I don't know train like a uh, like a image classification model for I don't know detecting currencies like at envision or whatever, right? We had to get like tens of thousands of images and then train it through this model and then get the final output out, right? With GPT two you don't have to, GPT three you don't have to do that. You just have to prime it, give it very few examples of the stuff that you want, right? Uh, to for it to generate and then it gets going right away. You know, so that's actually the big more than the text, you know, more than all the fancy stuff that people are doing with it, this is a landmark shift, I feel, in AI where you don't have to have so much training data anymore. You have a really good model that can generalize and then you just give it some data to prime the model and then boom you start having like all this really cool stuff come out of it, you know. Yeah. Awesome.
0: I actually want to like share my screen so that you can actually check out some of the examples. Yeah. Uh... So like before that I just want to get some of the technical stuff in that I didn't understand. I thought I want to get your opinion on. So hmm. one of the things I read it said that so the big jo, 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 with a, uh, sort of improvement with the GPT-3 is that it, it is made up of 175 billion parameters yeah. as opposed to GPT-2 which was actually made up of 1.5 billion parameters.
1: Yeah. What does this mean? So I think it's basically to give you a sense of how big and sophisticated the model is, you know, that's just a very Mm. simple uh, explanation of the parameter number, right? So Mm. the more parameters you have, the bigger your model is, right? And the bigger Mm. your model is... uh, the more sophisticated it is. So you have you like imagine it's like you know you're you wanting to you want to get some task done, right? Like you know maybe make a summary of a paper or something, right? Mm. Yeah. And then you give it to like two people uh, who are working mm. side by side to make a summary of that paper. You say okay, it's going to take you this much time to like I don't know two hours to make the summary. But at the same time, if you give it to say a group of like ten people to go ahead and make a summary of that paper, right? They'll mm-hmm. be able to probably go do it in like twenty minutes or so, right? So, and they're going to do a better job at it because there are more people or theoretically, they're going to do a better job because there are more people, more thinking heads. That's what you got to think about as parameters, right? So, it's just got more it. thinking heads in the model to get the work done, right? Then it shows how big it is in in, in, in size. Yeah.
2: Got it.
0: Awesome. So, I, uh, uh, some of the examples I wanted to… Uh, uh, jump into so like in in like in addition to uh, stuff that you said where it can do Elon Musk and like Shakespeare I think the stuff that I was very excited about was everything for it to create stuff you know that will make a job for you know the people actually easier yeah for example like I saw this example where it was actually able to you can actually give it instructions for exactly uh, like what you want to do like a design of in uh, like SIGMA and it will go ahead and it will say, take in all of that instructions and it will actually build a prototype for you on, on Figma. So for example, this guy is putting that he's building an app that has a, that has a, that has a navigation bar with a camera icon, photo title, a message icon and a feed of photos with each photo having a user icon, a photo uh, 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 like a heart icon and, and, and a chat bubble icon. That's sort of the input that he gave. And then boom like you actually get uh an instagram prototype you know, for you that like is built just with a few of sentences that he put in so this is impressive so can you sort of, let's like, talk us through like at what point is the api being actually used and how is this actually being done behind the
1: scenes So, I think everything that you're seeing here is really the API at work, right? So, the first thing that you would need to do is sort of prime the API with some examples, right? Don't have to give Mm. it too many examples. Uh, And uh, Mm. that's also one of the problems I have a a lot with the prototypes that people are building. I'll come to it a little later when you're talking about the hype versus thingy, right? But just thinking about the applications that we're seeing right now they usually prime it with a few examples of hey this mm. is what uh, you know, different types of apps so he might have given an app that's quite similar to maybe Instagram because it's looking at picking those icons um, you know that he's doing and he, it might be something like that so you prime it with some examples and then you get it let it work for a bit and then you come back and you say hey okay I want to like now Take the example that you've given, examples that I've given you, and then show me something new with it, right? Like mix and match and show me something new with it, and that's what is happening here. So everything you're seeing here actually is the API. So the whole thing okay. of him entering everything and saying, doing that, that's with the API. I use a lot of uh, uh, you know code examples, like the one that you might be sharing right now.
0: Yeah. So this guy took it like a step, like ahead, and he, you know, and and like he built a React app just. Uh, yeah using instructions which is pretty crazy
1: yeah yeah uh, yeah so that's also like all of it is just the api and that's the beauty of this model is that it can do any kind of generation or at mm-hmm. least it can do it's not just relegated to th- you know like saying okay you know i uh, i'm only going to be doing uh, text uh, or, or like generate novels or generate poems and stuff like that. it can even generate code right it able to understand structure to some extent right and be able to generate uh, code and I'm actually super excited for applications like this because yeah I mean it w- would be amazing to do that you know
0: yeah yeah so there is like a whole bunch of applications for you know things like app generators where yeah you know people are actually able to do uh, pretty yeah. cool, uh, or it like neat stuff uh, also people are able to uh, build stuff like this so where she says after Many of the reading have been to operate in the priming approach I also now have a CGptTC English to latest equations
1: yeah yeah so I think this is this is where I think the the most exciting stuff comes in like you know you learn how to like you learn how the model works and that's something people are still figuring out like internally like how do you get this like what how do you prime this in the best way possible like you need mm-hmm. to do a little bit of understanding of how the model works and once you do that you can do some pretty amazing stuff like this, you know, yeah, like I I applied for access to the model and yeah, like I've been wanting to build uh, simple tools like this where you generate, like the code generation thing was my first idea Right. I even had some fun ideas like I wanted to be able to. So I I follow this you know uh, YouTube channel called Kabita's Kitchen where she makes all these really fun recipes, and she has a blog. So I've been like so I wanted to have like a side project. So I've been scraping her blog, and then like preparing like simple fire you know like uh, dumps of her blog, and then wanting to feed that to GPT to see you know if it can come up with some very unique Indian recipes uh, just based off her blogs. And stuff like that, right? And it's it's pretty cool that yeah, I, I might be able to make something nice uh, with it. Where you can just go and uh, click a button, say okay, I want to have paneer. I want I feel like eating paneer. I want to eat something buttery. I want to eat something like spicy. And then like hit a button, and then boom, next thing you know, you have like a specific tailor-made Kabita's kitchen style recipe only for you. You know.
2: Awesome. Oh,
1: mm. All right, so just uh. I was I was
0: was walking towards the end of it. Uh, How much of this is uh, actually hype, and how much of this actually is going to have big implications in the kind of technology we're going to see in
1: you know in the future? I think honestly, like for me, I feel like it's it's really good. It's it's where it you know it it's kind of moving the needle forward in a big way. You know how big is something that. we really have to wait and see really like I feel a lot of it still remains uh, a bit of hype especially now I'm seeing a lot of VCs uh, on Twitter just being like hey you know if you guys are building something with GPT-3 drop us an email Uh, or you know some VC is just saying oh I know like uh, you know like uh, I don't know like all the programmers are going to be out of a job soon because GPT-3 is going to come and generate this whole thing I, I think it's it's yeah and I also feel that people need to take time to understand this thing more like i don't know what biases this model has right that's also a huge huge concern uh for me and for a lot of other people also that we don't know what kind of biases the model has because i think some people have been like putting out some uh tweets where they saw gpt like produce so so so-called offensive text against certain races uh and things like that so and the guys who made gpt3 the open ai people as well they're like we don't know what could be in the model because we trained it on like the it, like it text from the web, and people put all kinds of shit on the web, and you don't know what this model can do, right? So, it's right now a toy and it's a very fascinating toy. I think we still need to wait it out for a while to see if this toy can actually be like impactful. It is going to be impactful, but how impactful will also like will depend on how we under how much we understand this model how accessible is it going to be for people like us, like developers like us, to actually like, you know, build something interesting with it. What kind of biases does this model have and how do you counteract that, right? And like, just all it is. Because right now, the only person who has access to this is OpenAI. Nobody else has the, like, they have access to it, but you need a shit ton of compute power to put this up, get this up and running and make it useful. You know, that's, that's the problem. And yeah, you don't know how how open they're gonna be, you know, in the future. Because OpenAI is is known for making stuff and not exactly being open, you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very ironic. Yeah, I know. Like they they started off with this mission that okay, you know, we're gonna make build artificial general intelligence out in the open, but uh, yeah, they're slowly slowly morphing into like a commercial entity where Yeah, they're trying to, and this API right now, it's free. Like right now, I can build these applications and share them with people and it's free, right? But you don't know when they're going to start, you know, going all this one with people and being like, yeah, start paying like $1.5 for every thousand requests or like, yeah, whatever the fuck, you don't know, right? So it's, a lot of it is still there, but yeah, like I'm super excited. Like I was just, you know, like today in the morning working or playing around with the model a little bit, trying to understand how the whole priming process works with a few Mm. of Kabita's recipes so yeah I'll see how far I come along yeah but I just just wish yeah like I just wish that yeah like this thing becomes real especially all the stuff that we're seeing with code generation because a lot of what programmers do and I think a lot of what designers do like in most instances is making these very template apps or more or less apps that fit some sort of a template you know like even we've yeah. we have, we have done that like some of the apps that we're building like they're just simple apps we just don't want to put a lot of time into it but because you're sitting and coding it by hand you put, have, have to like put a lot of time into that stuff and if you have an app that just says generate a screen uh, you know with like a video feed embedded in it right and then boom you just have a screen with video feed that solves like 60% of the problem for me you know mm. and for many developers yeah yeah, no,
0: for sure, man. Super exciting. Like, what this can unlock. Vinay, uh, like, are you able to see some applications that could be useful for you as a, as you know in in you know as like a designer out there? Uh, that such things can unlock for you.
2: Yes. Uh, yeah, I was just wondering about that actually because uh, there is a position for like low fidelity prototypes in the design process. And of course, uh, with these kind of tools, you already get high fidelity prototypes quite soon, quite fast, right? And uh, it has different purpose, uh, but that changes the nature of the design process that you are doing your user research and bam, you have a high fidelity prototype within a few minutes. Uh, But that changes the nature of testing, evaluations and how we proceed overall. So I think in that scenario, we need to be more mindful that, yeah, high fidelity prototype is not the final thing kind of Uh, or it could also i could see it also leading to more high fidelity prototypes so currently if we are making three and making a choice uh by evaluating maybe uh with this kind of tools we are
0: Vinay, there's some sort of like, a noise from your end. Oh. Yeah,
2: now it seems fine. Better. Yeah, no, it's fine. Okay. I was saying that... Uh... Still? Ag- again, I
0: think there's something up with your headphones,
2: yeah. Oh. I can't really help it right now. It's okay now, yeah. Yeah, it's okay yeah? now. Yeah. It's okay. yeah. Uh, I was just uh, saying that... Well, with uh, high-fidelity prototypes, uh, it's like the nature of the design process changes a little bit, right? Uh, Yeah. If we have a user research going on, and then we uh, come across an insight, we want to prototype something, then within a few minutes, we have a high-fidelity prototype. Uh, Yeah. With these kind of tools, I think we can make it quite fast, and more of them. So in the typical design process, we are going, I don't know, with... uh, lots of low-fidelity prototypes let's say 50 and then we jot it down into probably three high-fidelity prototypes but yeah, tools you would end up with 50 high-fidelity prototypes and making a choice from so
0: yeah no I think also what it does is uh, like it lowers the barrier yeah. to actually for people to start doing such things right so right now you need to know how to, do, to operate on like Sigma or Sketch or XD, uh to be able to, to your to, to, to build to prototype but yeah. if it's just about explaining how the app should look then the barrier to entry is a lot more easier and I think that is also like a nice thing because the accessibility of something like something I would say design is then it's not it's not it's not sort of of like limited to people like who have the tools but anybody can actually start you know like to contribute so I think that is also a very you know I think it's like
1: a fascinating aspect yeah, like, like one of the things that, that's what I was like, one of the first things that struck me when I, when gpt two when I got access to the GPT-3 API was to really do something like that, right, where like I wanted to build like a very, very simple tool where let's say we take like a very simple one page Figma design, right. And for us, uh, probably like, you know, like accessibility testing is, is one of the things that we really have to only do once the design gets built into code and then you you know give it to uh, somebody and then be like, hey, can you check the accessibility of this or we need to do certain actions before that. So why not use, you know, like teach uh, GPT-3 how to build like accessible, you know, like I'd say simple mockups in Swift, right? Where you just have a simple screen, a simple view controller where you're just able to build everything out and you add some basic accessibility elements from the design itself. And then you are able to like at least get a sense of whether can I use this button here or can I do something else that will not break the accessibility and stuff like that. So those are simple things to build because you don't really need too much data for GPT-3 to actually understand some of the context. Uh, But yeah, I would want to, I definitely see like a place where I don't know, like a designer or a developer is able to give instructions to this thing and just be able to get mock-ups done quite fast than, you know, rather having to have a programmer sit and have that guy build stuff and then to yeah. see if it works or not. Yeah, yeah. This awesome. would be the ultimate
0: low-code, no-code stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Sounds great. Uh, all right, cool. let's bring this to a wrap. I would like to thank uh, our expert panel uh, for your expert active- panel coming on board and really talking to us I think yeah, it it sort of I think offered us a clarity on what GPT-3 is and and the implications of it I hope the listeners also were able to understand a bit better what GPT-3 is and yeah if you would like to talk to us about it explain in the comments about you know what will be the things uh, you know uh, know, the implications of you know this like you know like you know do you think this is sort of like a democratizing uh, as tool or do you think it could be something that could be used for a malicious uh, as a purpose or, or do you think it's just a toy and it's just a hype that uh, is only going to be around for a while so very excited to understand what are your opinions and uh, yeah we would look forward to seeing you in another episode of in between with some more interesting topics bye see you bye, bye.